from the heart of flyover country. He's not on the far right, and he's certainly not on the far left. Like you, he's somewhere in the middle. This is Dale Carter's America. And we are back on the podcast, Dale Carter with Kurt Wheeler. And anytime you want to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you at dalec at kfkf.com. And if you're listening to the podcast, you should really follow along. It's almost like when we were in school, you'd get a workbook to follow along. Do you remember? And you're young. Did they give you workbooks? Yeah, of course, Dale. Well, I don't know where where they stopped doing (laughs) stuff like this, but we had a workbook, right? Uh And the workbook that goes along with the podcast is the Facebook page. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would definitely say so, yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today, we have talked about on the uh, Facebook page, Dale Carter's America on Facebook. Give us a like while you're there. And uh, whenever you're listening to the podcast, do subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Give us the really high marks. What is that, like five stars? Five stars, yeah. You can give us a five-star review on um, Apple Podcasts. And I think you can rate on Spotify and other platforms as well. And you know, definitely be telling your friends about our podcast, too. I think... A big part of our listenership, certainly uh, amongst my friends and and uh, my circles and and some of yours as well, I know has been word of mouth. So, you know, definitely just spread the word and uh, tell your friends to check us out, whether they agree or disagree. You know, I'm sure hopefully they'll find it entertaining. Well, you know, that's the whole objective is to be entertaining while also giving you a dose of common sense because yes. you're not getting a lot of common sense anywhere. I uh, understand that we're now being heard in seven foreign countries. I think it's 12, actually. Is it 12? What's going on? It's 12 countries total, including the United States. That's amazing. Yeah. You never know how these things are going to work out, but this one seems to be growing, and with your help, we're going to continue to grow. Top of the news today, we're talking about a uh, restaurant in my adopted hometown of Blue Springs, Missouri. Now, you know that we're still under this whole COVID mask mandate for both Kansas City, Missouri, uh, where the pharaoh is the mayor. Yes. Right? And then the second baseman is the county executive for Jackson County. Every, and this is going to get a little confusing, but if you live here, you know. Everywhere in Jackson County, except the city of Independence, Missouri, which voted separately, even though they're in Jackson County, they don't have a mask mandate. So my town has a mask mandate for businesses. Ray's Cafe, not R-A-Y, but R-A-E, she's gone all Norma Ray at her cafe on Seven Highway uh, because she basically went public with it and said, I will be defying the mask order. Take it from there. Well, uh, from my experience, a lot of people have not been following the the mask order or have not been caring, really, if people don't wear masks. The difference with Ray's Cafe is that I think she was more public about saying we're not going to require masks on social media and things like that. And it led to the county coming in and shutting down their business for not following the COVID rules. Ah, and, but yeah. she found a way around it. Yes. So she uh, apparently has found a way around it, which is that Ray's Cafe in Blue Springs is now a private club. <laughs> it is a private establishment. So you have to pay a, a $1 uh, membership fee at the door and it's a private and now it's a private club. So, and then... On the sign that they have out front, it says something like, this is a private club. Um, you, you must pay a $1 uh, membership fee, and the dress code is no masks allowed. <laughs> okay, so not only, you don't even have the option. You just can't wear a mask. Yeah, that's what it appears. That's certainly how it appears, yeah. All right. Uh, and we're going to go have uh, lunch there one day this week? 
So yeah, we, we're, we're working out the details, but um, if you're listening to this, look forward to hopefully an interview with Ray's Cafe will be uh, featured on the podcast next week. So All right. Well, my good friend Mark Zarda, who was in the United States Marine Corps, he will appreciate this from the uh, movie Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood. Um, and I think it's the motto of the Marines. I was never one of the, the few, the proud, the Marines, because I wasn't good enough, frankly, to get in the Marine Corps. That's why I, I feel strongly about those who do. Uh, but the line in the movie Heartbreak Ridge is, if you're a Marine, you've got to adapt, improvise, and overcome. And Ray has certainly done that with her cafe. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's a whole saga, you know. I mean, it, it just goes to show how petty and stupid all these rules are. I mean, it's a, it's a private business. I mean, just leave them alone. But, you know, the Pharaoh and the uh, second baseman, as you say, they're hard at work, you know, cracking down on on anyone who's not following the uh, the draconian mask mandate so hopefully you know more more businesses will push back on it you know it's it's something that you can't expect businesses to do because it is a risk you know it's it's a high risk when you when you put yourself out there like that and when you take a stand against something like this you know you're you're putting yourself certainly square in the crosshairs of of the county you know yeah, for, you are for for all that kind of stuff it's so, also very american though yeah when, when you finally have had enough to yeah. stand up and say there is there's nothing behind this that's scientific. You know, if if my cafe were five blocks to the west, we wouldn't even be having this conversation, right? right? So she stood up, very American. Now, what did the uh, Pharaoh do in response? Maybe you follow him on Twitter. Uh, he is His Holiness the Pharaoh Quentin Lucas the First of Kansas City. Yep. Um, on his uh, Twitter page, when she got shut down, he says them's the breaks them's the breaks yeah i want you all to remember that because this guy is not satisfied with being the pharaoh of kansas city aka the mayor um he's going to run for statewide office oh i'm sure yeah he's going to run for the senate i I think he's going to run for that open seat that's going to come in the i think that's is that the 2022 midterm i think it is yeah and just to remind people too that we we actually interviewed or you i should say you interviewed mayor lucas uh a few months back and and that was something that you brought up in the interview was whether he was going to be running yeah. for senate and he kind of you Hedged. know skirted around the question yeah. a little bit so it's he's going like to run he, like uh, he would yeah. but what he's going to find i think is that you can you can get all the votes you want from kansas city and st louis but missouri is a red state outside of those two blue areas so good luck to him and i hope all this stuff comes back to haunt him because at a time when a business person in blue springs is struggling to get her business going when she tries to find a way around it, you know, them's the breaks. You know, it's, you know, bedside manner. That's yeah, it's it's just, you know, uh, the tone. I mean, aside from his position on the mask mandate, which is incorrect to begin with. I mean, just the the uh, condescending tone of, yeah. of saying something like that is is just uncalled for. Well, we're going to go to Ray's Cafe on 7 Highway. It's south of Clark in Blue Springs, if you know where that is. So south of 40 Highway and then right at 7 and Clark, there's like a strip center there. My doctor's office used to be in that strip center. And uh, we're going to take the podcast on the road to Ray's and we're going to have some great food uh, later on this week. And I encourage you to do the same thing. And uh, I, I would add one one thing to that too, if I can, which is is that this is not the only place. I mean, there. This is kind of the one that's in the news right now, but there have been other local businesses, not only in Kansas City area where where we are uh, broadcasting from, but in other places all across the United States. And I think it's really important. And we already have seen that people are 
responding to these, you know, controversies, quote unquote, with these businesses and going out and supporting them in huge numbers. Um, and I think that that's really important for us to do people who are, are not satisfied with the COVID rules, not satisfied with the oppression and the, and the growing tyranny of our government as far as, uh, you know, the lockdowns and the mask mandates and all that kind of stuff. So if you're listening to this and you know of a business that is, uh, under the table, not requiring masks or is being vocal about it or pushing back against the narrative in, in some other way, it's really important for us to, to patronize and support those businesses because I think that's going to be happening more and more often is that you're going to see individual businesses or individual localities, towns, and so forth that are going to be uh, pushing back. And it's it's going to become more of a – the culture war is heating up, you know, so it's important that we do that. Well, and we'll have more to say on COVID coming up here with a COVID update. Uh, there's more stuff in the news we want to talk about. An abysmal job creation report coming out of August. I think it was like 240,000 jobs. It was very, very weak. As as more and more people stay home and collect enhanced benefits, President Biden w- is laying it at the feet of COVID. He says the Delta variant is scaring people to stay inside. But we know that's not true. The enhanced benefits, which the president said would end on September 6th, Although he encouraged states, Missouri will not be one of them, I don't know if Kansas will or not, to keep paying people not to work out of money they were given by the Fed, but the enhanced benefits from the Fed stopped on Labor Day, ironically enough. Uh, so it's time to, uh, that that millennial who's in the basement basically sucking off the government, you've got one of two choices. Kick their ass out of the basement and tell them to go get a job, or you can pay their bills. Yep. And I saw a couple of people on Facebook and Twitter and other places, uh, lefties that were that were commenting like, oh, of course, they're going to do this on Labor Day, you know, of all days. And, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, the point that they're trying to make is that, you know, we have made all this progress with unions and labor laws and things like that. And and it's like, well, yeah, but the point is that you need to have a job <laughs> in order for those things to apply. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, for those folks, I mean, Labor Day is Monday. I mean, it's just another day. Right. Um, there was a story out of Portland, Oregon, that McDonald's in Portland, Oregon, is going to skip a generation and start hiring 14-year-olds to work at the McDonald's in the Portland area because they can't get people who would normally go to McDonald's to work, mm. you know, to get their first job out of the way to make some extra money on their way to a career. They can't get those people. So now they're going to go down to 14-year-olds. So they're lowering the, the right. age for exactly. hiring? Interesting. Now, you know, when I was about that age, uh, there was a Burger King that was built in my neighborhood. And I rode my bike over there and I said, hey, man, I, I really want a job here. Because I was one of those kids who I couldn't wait, man. I had a paper route. I mowed grass. I wanted to make my own money because right. at some point you get tired of asking your parents yeah. for money, yeah. right? Yeah. Because the answer is usually No. Um, and they told me, you know, I wasn't old enough, so I had to find another way. But now 14-year-olds, at least in Oregon, uh, can work in uh, McDonald's. That's too bad, Dale. Think of, you know, how, how much better your life could have been if you started at Burger King. You know, where I did start was Dusty's Breakfast House. We've talked about that. It was like a greasy spoon. It was just nasty. <laughs> it was right before my radio career started when I was 15. So uh, I have the scars of working in the food business. Yeah, sometimes those are the best places, though, you know. Uh, greasy diners are, are my forte for sure. While we are recording this, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is signing an election integrity bill into law today. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. It's backed by Republicans who claim it will protect against fraud. Democrats say there's nothing to see here. There's no proof of any kind of a problem. They wanted to take 
Harris County is what it comes down to in Texas, which is Houston. And they were doing, you know, 24-hour drive-through voting, you know, no ID needed, just show up and you get to vote. Yeah. (laughs) Now, what states like Texas have done, they've tightened down those election laws again to what they were before COVID. And because the COVID restrictions weren't codified into law, that's why you've got Democrats screaming from the rafters that it's Jim Crow. I mean, we've talked about that, but that bill is being signed into law today. Yeah, I think we've covered that topic enough. But just the uh, just to reiterate, I mean, the the rhetoric from the left on these voting laws is is ridiculous. And of course, it doesn't apply to the vaccine ID, right? That that's something that I've tried to bring up to to people before is making the connection between, you know, calling having voter ID racist and Jim Crow on steroids or whatever you want to call it. Well, doesn't that apply to vaccine ID too? Because, you know, the vast majority of black Americans haven't gotten the vaccine. So, well, I mean, you, you would think the logic would apply across, across both, but and it, if, apparently if, it doesn't. If the Pharaoh were serious about it, you know, Kansas city proper is one of those areas where vaccination rates are really, really low. Yeah. So why is he on this whole mask mandate? Why is he not saying, get the vaccine? Go get the vaccine. Well, Let's I'm sure make he's probably saying that too, but you know. He's not saying it loud enough. Well, uh, I, have my own, I have my own opinions on, on that, but we'll save that for another time. <laughs> well, we've told you before that the playbook is very simple. There's nothing to see here. That's the newest play we've added to the Democrat playbook, and that's what they're saying about Texas. It's racist is always going to be play number one that they're going to run over and over and over again. And with that, we'll tell you uh, that it should be a great day in the United States of America because the country's largest remaining Confederate statue is coming down this week. It's been up for 130 years. Statue of Robert E. Lee, who was general of the Confederate Army. It's coming down in Richmond. So it should be a great day. It should be a banner day. We should be It should be rainbows and Kool-Aid. Yeah, I, I detect a sense of uh, sarcasm in your voice there, what? Dale. Sarcasm? <laughs> me? I, I find that hard to believe. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so there you go. It's coming down, so everybody should be um, happy. Now, COVID update. And this is funny, because I've, I've seen some stuff that you've put up on the Facebook page. Where this started for me, you know, we have a comedy service that writes the funny songs that I play on the show. Right. Because I'm not nearly that talented. My talent is basically putting together a morning show and going, okay, this part fits best here. This part fits best here. I put the puzzle together and execute it every morning. But trust me, there's more talented people than me uh, who are behind the scenes. And there was a a song parody they gave me uh, set to the tune of the Mr. Ed show. Mm -hmm. You know, Mr. Ed, the talking horse. Yeah. Yep. All right. About ivermectin. And the story initially was uh, the poison control centers in the state of Mississippi were overflowing because people were taking ivermectin for COVID-19, okay? And so I played the song. We had a little fun with it, yada, yada, yada. The next day, I get the story that the Kansas City Poison Control Centers are getting calls from people taking ivermectin. Now, and then, then you put up the funny deal on the Facebook page that uh, this just in, Democrats aren't going to drink water because horses also drink water. Yes. Ivermectin is known to be a, a drug, I guess, that treats horses for worms. So, I mean, I can do the full breakdown here, I guess, on the ivermectin story. So, ivermectin is an antibacterial drug that has been approved for humans by the FDA, has been given in billions of doses across the entire world, uh, especially in the third world for bacterial uh, diseases and and other things like that. 
it's also used in animals. So the narrative, of course, from the left is that this is a horse dewormer because it's used in certain doses and in certain forms on horses, but it's also used in humans. The, the guy who discovered it actually for human use won a freaking Nobel prize for it. So, and then there's been like 20 to 30 studies at least, and I've read a bunch of them myself that have shown a lot of promise in ivermectin in treating COVID-19 and using it as, you know, sort of a, a, uh, alternate treatment, if you will, you know, aside from just washing your hands and staying home and, you mm-hmm. know, getting the vaccine, depending on who you ask and all that kind of stuff, ivermectin and others have been shown to be effective in treating COVID-19 and lessening the symptoms and all that kind of stuff. Of course, to me, this all boils down to that ivermectin is very cheap and readily available it's not following the narrative of getting the vaccine and it's not profitable to big pharma because it's, you know, it's like, like a common drug, whatever the, the, uh, word is for that, that I'm thinking of, but so over the counter, uh, I'm not sure if it's over the counter or not, but it's, it's like, it's like aspirin. It's like a common, uh, there's, there's a medical word. Somebody will correct me on the Facebook page, I'm sure, but there's a medical term for that, but it's a, it's a common, uh, ingredient. It's a common uh, drug that is used in a lot of different yeah. prescriptions and things like that. And so this whole narrative that it's a horse dewormer and all that is just BS. And well, it is I'm, a horse dewormer. No, I, I know, but right. no, I understand that. But it's like, it's, it's literally, I mean like the Babylon B article that I posted, it's like saying that we can't drink water because horses <laughs> drink water. I mean, it's, well, li- it, it's, it's hyperbolic, but right. it literally is that, I mean, horses are prescribed aspirin too. horses are prescribed painkillers, the same painkillers that are prescribed to humans. They're just in a lot yeah. bigger doses because a horse is a bigger than is bigger than a human. And so, you know, there was this whole thing that was going on with Joe Rogan in this past week, who's the number one podcaster in the world. He posted a story to his Instagram that he had gotten COVID and that he was on this treatment regimen of, you know, uh, natural remedies and ivermectin and, you know, IV drip and whatever else that he was doing. He's got all the money in the world. He can afford to do, you know, whatever kind of treatment he wants. And of course, everyone jumps on him because he's using ivermectin, which is quote unquote, a horse dewormer, despite the fact that it's been FDA approved for human use, despite the fact that it's been given in billions of doses, despite the fact that it's been shown to be very promising in treating COVID-19 in humans, including many studies out of the United States, uh, Israel, Australia, and other places. And it's just being ignored. And the, the narrative is just a lie. I mean, it's not, that's the thing. It's, it's not a lie that it's used as a horse dewormer. That's true. But it's a, the, the narrative that, you know, this is a horse dewormer. That's the, the, the head, right, right, every right. single headline is a lie. And it's just, it's uh, pure misinformation to use the, well, the left's term. What I would say is a cautionary tale before you go out and buy some ivermectin and just start chugging pills down that you should probably talk to your doctor. Well, yeah, that applies to anything. I mean, that it does. applies to anything that applies to the vaccine, too, by the it way. Does. You well, should you should talk to your doctor. Again, before I did the talk vaccine. to my doctor and that's why I got the vaccine, right. because we had a very you know frank conversation about that. And, and that's where a lot of this stuff comes off the rails. And I think that's where the poison control centers are coming in because people are hearing part of this and they're going, oh, well, that fixes uh, COVID. Chug down all these pills. And the next thing you know, you're on the poison line. I would like to see more information about that, though, because I'm not sure how much of that to actually believe, because there's been a lot of misinformation about that as well and lies about that as well. There was a story 
that was run in the New York Post and Rolling Stone and a bunch of other mainstream media outlets a couple days ago that said that a former doctor from an Oklahoma hospital said that the hospitals were being overrun by people who were overdosing on horse dewormer and they couldn't treat people with COVID. And it was just made up. The The doctor hadn't worked there for months. He was just going off of a hunch. He had no information to back it up. And it turns out that it's just not true. But by the time you find out that it's not true, the story has already been shared by every major news media outlet. The left is already making memes about it saying, oh, look at these stupid, you know, backwards people chugging horse dewormer. And it just wasn't true. So I, I, I frankly have a hard time believing that. I mean, I would like to see more information, but, you know, I'm just skeptical of anything like that that I hear now. I'm just naturally skeptical of it. So it's a health issue. I mean, I wish we'd get to a point where you take all the politics out of it, which we're not going to with COVID-19. Politics are going to be a part of this and just, you know, move it back to a conversation between you and your doctor. I wanted to share this uh, letter we got because we get email all the time. And if you'd like to send an email, we'd love to have it at dalec at kfkf.com. This comes from Barb. Uh, Barb says, my son-in-law got the COVID about four weeks ago. My daughter did not get the COVID. Both were tested. Here are the interesting facts. They both ride together in a small car to work because they work together. Each day after work, they stop at Casey's and get a fountain drink to share on the way home. They drink from the same straw. That's kind of gross. You don't do that with the girlfriend, do you? Well, yeah, but she, the fiance. she's my fiance. She's not. All right. Yeah. Anyway, well, the, these folks are married. You're saying that's oh, gross. okay. I got you. No, I, I misunderstood. I still wouldn't do it. I, I think misunderstood it's disgusting. the letter. All right. No, it's not that gross. So there you go. Uh, so they drink from the same straw. Of course, they both had to quarantine for two weeks. And after they get tested for COVID to see if they uh, test negative. Uh, my daughter and her husband both tested negative. Now, can anyone explain why my daughter didn't get COVID? My son-in-law had pneumonia several years ago, and he told my daughter that he felt he had pneumonia. When they talked to the doctor, he said that COVID is pneumonia. That doesn't make sense, does it? No, that that part doesn't make sense. Uh, I've worked in retail for 37 years and through the whole last year never got the COVID. I was with my mother when she passed with COVID. Here is my thing. I've got a great immune system so far, so why should anyone think they should say I have to get the COVID shot? I do not want to put the shot in my body that isn't broken. I think you'd agree with her. No comment. (laughs) If you feel you need to get the COVID shot, by all means do so, but don't force me to get it. If you're afraid you'll get COVID, then you wear the mask. Protect yourself. A company should not make you choose to get the shot or you lose your job. Another no comment? Well, I certainly agree with that. All right. Also, when the polio shots were given, my brother and I got the shot. The shot did not react on me, but it did on my brother. It crippled him, and my mother had to feed him like a baby until he passed away at the age of 18. Mm. That's the uh, polio shot. I wasn't around for that. I'm not that old. Wow. So, Barb, thank you for uh, sharing that letter. And, again, if you've got something you want to say, we'd love to hear from you at dalec at kfkf.com. We move on well, to – Could I could I respond oh, sure, to that real quick? Because we, we didn't really respond to it. But, um, first of all, I, I would like to say, you know, we're, we're very sorry for the passing of, of your mother and um, for what happened with your family with the, the polio shot and, and all of that. Um, and we appreciate your guys's input. The main question that she was asking in the letter was why did her daughter's husband get COVID, but her daughter didn't get COVID when they were together in the same car and they highly were sharing contagious, straws. Right. right. And, and it is highly contagious. And that, that is true. You know, it's more contagious than the flu. It's more contagious from what I've seen than, than the common cold. 
but it's not, I mean, 100% contagious, you know, I mean, every, every virus, you know, there's a chance that you'll get it or there's a chance that you won't get it. So, I mean, I would say, I think she just got lucky is probably the answer, but it, it does bring up an interesting point because, you know, we have all these people who are super paranoid about COVID. It's like, even if you're in the same room as somebody, mm-hmm. even if you like pass them on the street or something like that, that you're going to get the virus, you know, and that's just, even with a virus as contagious as COVID, that's just not how it works, you know, and there's, there's a lot more nuance to it. So I, I would say a short answer is she just got lucky, but the longer answer is, you know, there's, there's more nuance and, uh, and just because you're with somebody doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to get it. Even if you take all the precautions and even if you take all the precautions, you still might get it. So, and here's my question moving forward. Maybe some people will react to this at Dale C at KFKF.com. Even if you're married to somebody, are you going to drink out of the same straw that they drink out of? I think that's disgusting. Yeah. I mean, not, do you guys use each other's toothbrush? No. Well, that's the same thing. You're sticking something in your mouth. Yeah, I would say, you know, I don't like, use the same straw like as a rule but if you like oh hey let me take a sip of that and you drink out of their straw you're not going to get a new straw just to take a sip of their drink i would i guess that's the (laughs) difference between us i would get a fresh straw okay and probably another glass too but uh, we'll just move on um can we move on to afghanistan are you good with that yep all right afghanistan obviously huge debacle that's going on um the taliban the last i heard has taken over the last uh holdout in afghanistan we were led to believe they were the kinder, gentler uh, Taliban, yet you're hearing reports that they're going through the country uh, looking for anybody who helped the Americans during the 20 years that we were there. Um, they're looking for women, especially women who were empowered either in the media or any other way because they have to be taken back to the 12th century, right? That's well, who these people are and what yep. they do. Absolutely. Yeah. So here we are. We're 20 years after 9-11 and Afghanistan's going to flare up again. Why in the world did we not leave, you know, some sort of a force there like we've left in other places? And I get, I know we've talked about this a lot, but it's still on the front burner. You know, why do we have forces in Germany uh, when World War II's been done for nearly a century? Why do we have troops in South Korea as a trigger for the nut job that's running North Korea? Uh, well, they're there as a trigger for that. Is he any nuttier than the Taliban who now are taking over Afghanistan? I don't think so. No, if anything, he's more organized. <laughs> yeah. And and I mean, part of the reason, too, that this is on the front burner is not just because of 9-11 and all that, but which we're, we're going to get to in this episode as well, but because there's still Americans in Afghanistan. There's still Americans there. Right, exactly. And after, after all this time, you know, of being promised that we are going to get the Americans out after we left... And abandoned Americans there. Then we were promised that we would get all the Americans out by the deadline. And then they just, the deadline came and they're like, all right, well, this is the deadline. So we're out here, you know, and there's still Americans there. Right. Over a thousand from, from what I've seen. But I mean, who knows what the number is? And then when you're Pete Ducey at Fox and you ask a question of the very smarmy Jim, Jen Psaki, almost said Jim Psaki. I think she's a woman, right? Jen Psaki. You know, what about stranded Americans? Well, I would take exception with your use of the word stranded. What in the hell are they? Yeah. And just, (laughs) I mean that I've watched a lot of those uh, interactions as well. And she is totally incompetent. Okay. I will say that she is unbearable and totally incompetent. But one thing that she does, she knows how to do. And it's the reason that she is in that position is she knows how to deflect. She knows how to 
take an obvious question like, why are there Americans in Afghanistan? Why did you pull all of the military out and abandon these people there to die or be raped or whatever the heck, you know? And and then, of course, you know, she's going to take it and, and flip it like, well, how dare you, you know, phrase the question that way or, you know, uh, or just give some vague answer like we're working on it, you right. know, which is and, and, you know, that's her job. Her job is to deflect and to lie and to protect the administration. And that's exactly what she's doing. Well, and in the way that we got out of Afghanistan, just the clunky way that we got out of Afghanistan and the tragedy that more forces had to go in because of how Biden withdrew. And then you had 13 dead service members, uh, the caskets coming back to Dover. And this is I don't know how she deflects from this. How do you deflect from the parents of those 13 killed service members when the president goes, he's supposed to be the conciliator-in-chief, and Republicans and Democrats through the years have done an awesome job with that. That is one of their jobs. They send sons and daughters into harm's way. When the caskets come back, they are there to console the grieving parents. And he rolls his eyes, he looks at his watch 15 million times, and he wants to talk about his son, Bo, who died from a brain tumor. He had served in Afghanistan, right. but when he came back, he died of natural causes. But the president decided to talk about his son in the face of their grief. And these parents are coming forward, and he just looks really, really bad. He was much more serious at the funeral for George Floyd, a career criminal, and at the funeral of Brian Sicknick, the officer who was killed after January 6th, because he could use those two things for his own political gain. He was much more serious at both of those funerals. Go, I'm, I'm not making this up. Go back and watch the tape. Then he was at the funeral and service for 13 American service members who died as a direct result of his action in Afghanistan. That should tell you everything you need to know. It says a lot, um, and we've got a long way to go uh, until the midterms, which are coming up next year, and then the next presidential in 2024. And as people have screamed to me, and, and I hear your screams, um, you can't be thinking about you know impeachment or things like that because you look at what's behind Joe Biden, and it's almost ten times worse. So this is this is what we have. This is what you voted for. Maybe not you who are listening to this, but this is what was voted for. And this is why elections have consequences, and you need to do a little research before you go into the polling place and let your emotion dictate who you're going to vote for. And this is also why election law has consequences. Because it does. The, my argument has been and will continue to be the election, the loosening of the election laws is what got us Joe Biden. Um, and that can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. It can be interpreted that the election laws were changed legitimately and this was a legitimate election it could be interpreted as the election laws were changed illegitimately and this was an illegitimate election and i'll let you you know decide which interpretation i'm doing of that but that is certainly the case that if it wasn't for the covid changes in the election laws we would not have joe biden as president right well you know i i always go back to the constitution i'm a big believer in the constitution the constitution says that elections federal elections are in the hands of the states they make the laws, and that's what those states are doing. You can say Jim Crow all day long, uh, but it's not true, and, and it does great harm and offense to anyone who lived through the Jim Crow South 
uh, back in the day because that's not what's going on here. And we'll see moving forward. And I know that there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there about stolen election, illegitimate election. I say blah, blah, blah. The United States moves forward, not backward. And we've got a midterm coming up that we need to be focused on uh, in just over a year and then another presidential election down the road. That's the beauty of our system is that no matter what crap has hand, uh, has happened before, we can look forward and, and fix it moving forward. Yeah, I mean, we sort of disagree on that. I mean, we've, we've hashed it out a little bit before, but I, I think that it matters. You know, I think that calling out the... Uh, well, we do call them out. Yeah, but it's more than just calling it out. I mean, if the election was performed illegally, then we need to know, you know, about it. Well, what we do know is that Saturday will be the 20th anniversary, and you almost hate to use that word anniversary. Is there a better word to use for it? Marking the day? Um, Because anniversary, just to me, it sounds like something that you would celebrate, and we're certainly not going to celebrate the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and I throw that out there uh, for lack of a better word. We'll get to where uh, Kurt was here in just a second because you were quite young then. I was younger than you, yes. (laughs) You're always going to be younger than me. I mean, I don't even do math that well, and I know that. Uh, But I want to take you back to that week in 2001 uh, because this is before I was the uh, stadium voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. I was a season ticket holder. I love the Kansas City Chiefs. And at that day when they tap me on the shoulder and say, Dale, we just don't think you have it anymore for Arrowhead, I'm going to go back to being a season ticket holder because I mm. love the team that much. Yeah. So the Sunday before the attacks on our country, it was a glorious day in Kansas City. The Chiefs had just beaten the Raiders at Arrowhead Stadium. It was a beautiful blue sky day in Kansas City. And I remember walking back to my car thinking, this is the greatest country in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. And I still believe that. Right. Uh, but you know, I was so innocent and naive, as many of us were going back to my car, Skip over Monday, we get to Tuesday, September the 11th. I know it was a Tuesday because we had a um, Nashville insider at the time named Neil Hayslip. Uh, longtime listeners of KFKF may remember him. We recorded him at 8 o'clock on Tuesdays, and we would replay him at 8.15. So we got that turned around pretty quick. So I'm in the studio, and Gary Lezak, you know who Gary is. Name sounds familiar. Gary's the uh, chief meteorologist at Channel 41. Okay, gotcha. And Gary had been our weather guy on the morning show for years. He wasn't at the time, but he knew the hotline number to the studio. And he called and he said, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. So check it out. We uh, had uh, Channel 9 on, I think, in the studio. And we uh, looked at the TV and they had like a static shot of the smoke coming out of the first tower that was hit. And, of course, my first thought was, this has been some sort of tragic mistake. Right. An accident. An accident, you know, because, you know, in the 1940s, I think there was a plane that hit the uh, Empire State Building. Right. So, it, and they're tall buildings. They right. were tall buildings. So I could see where that accident would happen. So it gets to like eight o'clock. We're recording Neil. I'm looking across the, the control board in the studio at Mary McKenna, my longtime partner. And out of the corner of my eye, the TV in the, in the newsroom is facing me. And I see a plane circling, you know, the World Trade Center. And, you know, what my first thought was it's some sort of firefighting thing because it's so high that they've got to drop water on this thing like you would in a forest fire or whatever. Um, And then I saw that thing in real time slam into that second tower. And I just stopped Neil right there and I said, Neil, this is never going to air. We're going to move forward. And uh, Randy Birch was our longtime news director at the time. 
Uh, we had him go on with the breaking news, and I think by like 9 o'clock, we turned it over to CBS News, and we did not play a song or a commercial for a day and a half. Yep. It was just the breaking news that was going on that entire time. And remember, we can look at it now uh, from the rearview mirror and see that it was the World Trade Center. It was the Pentagon. It was the plane that may have been destined for the Capitol that uh, the passengers took over that plane, and it crashed uh, in Pennsylvania. But the day it happened, as it was happening, the news was flooding in. You talk about misinformation. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had news that a bomb had exploded at the State Department, that the Capitol was being attacked. We had no idea what was going on. Right. All of a sudden, you, you have no information, and you've got planes that are flying into buildings, something that had never happened before in this country, and it was it was very scary. Yeah, I think you know that moment where the second plane hit the second tower was sort of the... Uh, we knew we were at war. Yeah. That we didn't was, know that, with who. That but, was the moment yeah. that, that really changed America, I think you could, you could say. Yeah, it did change America. And then the, the scenes that came out of the days to follow... Uh, with George W. Bush standing on the rubble that was the World Trade Center uh, and saying, I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people who knocked these buildings down will hear from all of us soon. Now, the steps that we took after that, we can certainly debate. We can argue. It's happening all around us. We went over to Afghanistan because that's where it came from. Mm -hmm. Went over there to kick ass, and we did that. Now, did we need to stay 20 years? Did we need to try and nation-build a country that is never going to be a Western democracy? We can we can argue that till the cows come home. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Well, I guess I'll give my, my brief Yeah, account. exactly. How I old mean, were you? So I was in uh, – so I was nine. I was probably in third or fourth grade. I guess fourth grade yep. that would be. And I was in – I remember being in the library and – our librarian was reading to us and the principal came in and whispered something in his ear. Not, not unlike the, the famous uh, scene with, with Bush reading to the kids and the, and the guy comes in and whispers in his ear, obviously not that significant, but looked very similar. And then um, they made an announcement that we were ending the school day early and that parents would be coming to, to pick everyone up. And I got picked up by my parents and went home and, and they were watching it on TV and it, it it's one of those things. I mean, I was kind of just, I remember being in shock, but I, I, I remember not really having too much emotional attachment. Like I feel like I was too young to really know too what was going on. Hard to comprehend. You know? Yeah. I was kind of naive about the whole yeah. situation. Um, and, and really, you know, just not thinking about what what like what it must have been like on the ground at that time for the people, especially in New York, and and then not until and this may be true for for other people who are older too, but not until you see the videos of people running from the from the smoke, you know, mm. on the streets, or you see the the famous picture of the guy doing the the nosedive out of out of the tower, right, and and things like that that are really I have a hard time to, watching to that hit home. You know? I have a hard time watching that now. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. And couldn't watch it for a long time. And I know that I got into a serious funk um, getting home every day and watching the coverage on it. Even weeks later, as, as funerals started to happen, I had to pull myself out of it because I was in a really dark place while all that was going on. Yeah. But back to the day of the attack, we went off the air at one point. 
We're on the sixth floor of the Park Central Plaza building, and hell, for all we knew, a plane may have hit our building. We didn't know. And I remember running up the stairs to the roof of the building just to make sure that everything was still intact up there. That's how scared we were yeah. at that point yeah. because you didn't know. I mean, you didn't know. All you knew was it had begun. Right. Where does it end? Yeah, we, we were in uncharted territory for sure. Yeah. And so now here we are 20 years later. Are, are we ripe for it again? Well, I, I mean, I, I certainly think that our biggest threats are domestic and not foreign. And that's not to, you know, lessen the threat or the severity or the seriousness of Islamic terrorism, um, which it still is. I mean, we saw what happened with Afghanistan. We see Iran out there being bullies, you know, trying to build a nuclear weapon. That's something that we're going to have to deal with at some point, probably with force, unfortunately, because the diplomatic strategy is not going to work with that country. Wouldn't work with Afghanistan either. It is not working with Afghanistan. There are yeah. people in this world, and you know, some of my liberal friends may not like to hear this, they, they only understand the fist. Right. They don't understand the open hand of friendship. All they understand is the fist. And when they want to talk about you know, Donald Trump's agreement with the Taliban, I don't think Joe Biden followed Donald Trump's agreement. No. We're going to get more and more of that that's going to come to the light of day. But I think what Donald Trump told them is, you know, this is what we're going to do based on your behavior. You know, this is what we're going to do. But if you screw us in any way whatsoever, the might of the United States is going to come down on you. Uh, remember what we did after 9-11. We right. have the ability to do that. Our military can do anything, really. But we've got to have the political will to do it. And we do not have the political will right now. Well, I think maybe an interesting way to approach this conversation would to, to commemorate the 20th anniversary of, of 9-11. We talked a little bit about the day of and you gave your, your account of the, the week of and the following weeks. In terms of broader policy and the broader direction of America, what what do you think, as somebody that's older and more more um, experienced in in this, and you were you know older when it happened, what do you think are the lasting effects that nine eleven has had on our country? I didn't think in the days and weeks and maybe even the months after it happened that we would ever be the same ever again. That it would it would deeply scar us. And I think my greatest fear moving forward is that it didn't do that. Yeah. Is that, you know, okay, that happened 20 years ago. Okay, whatever. And it may well take something like that happening again to uh, get our attention. I certainly hope not. But but that's kind of the feeling I have is is we may be in that situation again. I would hope from a policy perspective I want to believe what the president is talking about with over-the-horizon capability, that we have ways to see these things happening in real time and to go over there and take care of it uh, from afar. I want to believe that. I really do. Uh, I think that also from a, from a policy perspective moving forward, we've got to rebuild our human intelligence capabilities. We've got to have people on the ground who are watching what's going on, infiltrating these people and making sure that it doesn't happen again. Because I think that's been decimated. We we don't have the human intelligence capability that we once had as a country. So I'm very concerned moving forward. Concerned for my kids. Concerned for my grandkids. Um, who you know, my kids certainly were young like you when it happened. My grandkids weren't born. 
um, I don't want them to get hit again. Right. Yeah, I would certainly agree with a lot of that. I think just to start with, and <laughs> I guess a positive if, if that's even possible, but um, you know, I think you would agree with this, but after 9-11, we saw unity in this country, we unlike did. we had seen in, in several decades before that, I think. And, and it's very unfortunate you know, that something like that has to happen to, to br- really bring people together and have them put aside their differences. But that is what happened. And we did see um, relative, you know, political harmony, I guess you could say, <laughs> certainly compared to what we're dealing with now. But there are, are a lot of lasting negative implications and effects from 9-11. I mean, the, there's the obvious foreign policy implications. I mean, we, we were in Afghanistan for 20 years. I think one thing that we've learned from all of that is just that we're not dealing with a traditional enemy, you know, and that's, that's the real challenge of even at the time, you know, that was the challenge for, um, for George Bush. I mean, you know, obviously people like to criticize him for making mistakes, but that's a really hard decision to make. I mean, you just got attacked by terrorists, almost 3000 people died, 3000 American citizens died and you have to do something about it. I mean, you can't just not do anything. You have to go kill the people who did it. But the enemy is so um, loosely organized. It's not like you're dealing with, you know, the country of Germany or something right. like that, where you can just go and wage war against the regime that you know carried out these attacks. It's it's very loosely organized. You know, that whole area is just tribal and there's right. lots of different things going on. So that part, you know, and I think that has led to a sort of shift, just like the the war in Vietnam did. It's led to a shift in what we define as our role in in the world, you know, and that's troubling to me because we shouldn't be out there nation building. We shouldn't be out there trying to uh, institute democracies and, and all of these things, which is sort of what the Afghanistan project transformed into, which I think is very dangerous. And then there's also the, the domestic implications of 9-11 that I think have just as much, if not more, weight on the future of our country, things like the Patriot Act and the NSA surveillance of American citizens. And, you know, we saw a complete transformation of travel in, in America, domestic travel on airplanes and things like that. And, you know, certainly the Patriot Act, I think being the big one, and then the, the kind of steps down from the Patriot Act, you know, the NSA surveillance, um, and things like that, that's going to have serious long lasting implications on, on our culture and on our government. And it's one of those things that once you put it in place, you can't really take it away. So I don't know where, where we go from here, but well, you know, you talk about the military, and and it's it's a change deal, as you rightly point out, because the the enemy is not an organized country; uh, they are what they are. So it changes warfare, and I hope in twenty years, you know, we've learned those lessons at the Pentagon and also at the CIA. I mean, they need to be. Uh, I'm I'm going to hope as an American that they are conducting this war on a different plane than sending 100,000 soldiers over and, you know, the big ships and the aircraft carriers and all that. There is a different plane. But to your point about how unified we were after 9-11, a lot of people talk about this, and I was struck by it as well. When you saw the people running away from uh, the World Trade Center, um, which was collapsing, they were covered in ash. Mm -hmm. And they weren't black. They weren't white. Mm -hmm. They were Americans. They were covered in ash. And then after that, Republicans and Democrats arm in arm at the Capitol building singing God bless America. I mean, 
it took that to get there. And since then, we have become more fractured, I think, than we've been since the Civil War in this country. I completely agree. And, and I'll go one step further. If something like that were to happen again, which God forbid, you know, obviously we all hope that it doesn't. If something like that were to happen again, I don't think we would see that sort of political unity. I think we would still see maybe even more than than under normal circumstances, maybe even a an exacerbation of political division if there were some sort of catastrophic event um, where people are going to start finger pointing and people are going to be positioning, um, people are going to be bringing up really nasty, divisive identity politics and things like that. I, I don't think that's going away. And, and, th- and that's not necessarily a remnant of 9-11, although I'm sure it is in some ways. But, you know, it's just a different time. Uh, that that time was much more, you know, aside from the event itself and, and the people that died and all that. But politically, um, the early 2000s were, were much more harmonious in terms of the capability of people to come together for a yeah. common goal, you know, which we don't really well, have anymore. We don't have to test it. But uh, we'll, we shall see. 20 years ago, after the attacks, Alan Jackson, country music singer, did what country music singers and songwriters do. I mean, he poured his heart and soul into a song that became the anthem coming out of 9-11. Uh, we mixed this together with the sounds of that day. So we're going to take you back 20 years. And the question Alan asks in the song is, where were you when the world stopped turning? And with that, this is Dale Carter's America. I saw this plane come out of nowhere. You in the yard with your wife and children were working on some staging. It was a big jet. We saw it come. Did you stand there in shock at the sight of that black smoke rising against that blue sky? Bang! Right into the middle of it. Did you shout out in anger and fear for your neighbor? Or did you just sit down and cry? <laughs> so many people. It's just horrifying. It's heartbreaking. Did you weep for the children who lost their dear loved ones? Pray for the ones who don't know. Did you rejoice for the people who walked from the rubble and sob for the ones left alone? Did you burst out with pride for the red, white, and blue? And the heroes who died just doing what they do. Did you look up to heaven for some kind of answer and look at yourself and what really matters? He just said, I want to let y'all know that I love you very, very much. I'm just a singer of simple songs. I'm not a real political In case I don't see you again. I'm in, but I'm not sure I can tell you the difference in our rock and There's no words to describe what's going on out there. But I know Jesus and I talk to God and I remember this from when I was young. Faith, hope, and love are some good things he gave us. And the greatest is love. I see bodies just coming a half hour later, still coming out of the goddamn sky. Where were you when the world stopped turning? That September day. Teaching a class full of innocent children Driving down some cold interstate 
Did you feel guilty cause you're a survivor? In a crowded room, did you feel They're looking for survivors. Did you call up your mother and tell her you loved her? Did you dust off that Bible? There cannot be any survivors. It just would be beyond comprehension. Did you open your eyes hope it never happened? Close your eyes and not go to sleep. Did you notice the sunset the first time in ages? Speak to some stranger on the street. Did you lay down at night, think of tomorrow, go out and buy you a gun? Did you turn off that violent old movie you're watching and turn on I Love Lucy reruns? Did you go to a church and hold hands with some strangers, stand in line and give your own blood? Did you just stay home and cling tight to your family? Thank God you had somebody to love. I've never seen a jet fall out of the sky into a building, no less once, but twice. I'm just a singer of simple songs. I'm not a real political man. It's horrifying. I watch CNN, but I'm not sure I can tell you. Heartbreaking. The difference in Iraq and Iran. But I know Jesus and I talk to God. And I remember this from when I was young. Faith, hope, and love are some good things he gave us. And the greatest is love. I mean, I said, well, we love you very much too, Mark. I'm just a singer of simple songs. I'm not a real political man. Let me go get your mother. I watch CNN, but I'm not sure I can tell you the difference in Iraq and Iran. But I know Jesus and I talk to God and I remember this from when I was young. Faith, hope, and love are some good things he gave us. And the greatest is love. Of course, you're hoping that this is it. And the greatest is love. This is the end of it, but you're a little wary too. And the greatest is love. I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, every day I look out my window. Where were you? Stop turning from the New Jersey side on that September I see these twin towers and they're not here. views expressed on Dale Carter's America are Dale's and Kurt Wheeler's. They do not necessarily reflect the views of KFKF or Steel City Media. Comments can be sent to dalec at kfkf.com. Thanks for listening. Check back every week for new episodes.